Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Saturday. Okay, today is Saturday, September, uh, November 18th, excuse me. Awesome show today, guys. Aaron Slindy uh, from Oregon, KVAL and Oregon CBS affiliate station going to talk to us about the Oregon Ducks. Getting some Oregon State, too. She covers all things Oregon, especially the college scene out there. Talk about their games coming up, two games remaining on the schedule, and their crash course, of course, at the end of the season for that Platypus Trophy. Let's start off, though, guys. Thursday night football recap. Thursday, Ravens, Bengals have some injuries we'll get to. Uh, Ravens do come away with the victory. They are now 20-3 and over their last 20-3, uh, and excuse me, home um, primetime games. Bengals have not been that lucky. They have lost their last 14 uh, primetime games under the lights. What do you guys think about this game, the injuries, and um, was it impressive by the Ravens or more of a concern for the Bengals going forward, especially with uh, the injury that Burrow had? It's going to be tough going forward for the Bengals if Burrow is injured for the rest of the season and possibly, I mean, it would be it would be tough if they – if, uh, if Burrow doesn't make it for the season, they may miss the playoffs. They're on the outside looking in right now as uh, as the Ravens really take command of the AFC North with their win. And uh, the Bengals, it's going to be – it's an interesting stat also you bring up, Jared, with the Bengals losing 14 of their last primetime games. Is this team ready for primetime yet? I, st- I would assume that means is. road games. Road games. I know they've won some home games. Oh, that's right. right. Games, that's yeah. true. But I don't. I don't know yet with the Bengals, especially if Burrow is out for uh, for extended period of time. Yeah, that's going to be a big problem, obviously, if Joe Burrow's out, because there's very few quarterbacks that are more valuable to their team than Joe Burrow is to the Bengals. There's no doubt about it. But you look at the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, fantastic performance. You know, he wasn't 100, percent but. You know, he ran the ball effectively. He did what we've all been waiting for him to do, and that is win the game from the pocket. You know, in years past, if he wasn't 100% as far as a runner, then he wasn't all that effective. Well, he threw the ball very effectively yesterday, getting touchdowns to Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Bateman, you know, kind of taking the game over. Gus Edwards had a couple touchdowns. The Ravens look like the best team in the AFC North, no doubt about it, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They lead the league in sacks, and they got after the Bengals in this game. But obviously, the momentum flip with Joe Burrow getting hurt, and we got to just say this as well. The officiating was just catastrophic mm-hmm. yesterday. Odell Beckham, that was not a hold on a touchdown to Zay Flowers. That's a terrible call. Uh, the pass interference on second and 20, which set up the Ravens' touchdown to make it 21-10, completely changed the game. Officiating was terrible. Injuries were terrible. It felt like, in many ways, a microcosm of Thursday night football the last couple of years. And it's just... It's kind of a shame because this is supposed to be the best Thursday night game of the season, and we weren't able to experience that for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, it was close until it wasn't. Ravens, second uh, second quarter of the game, that's where they really went away with it. Two touchdowns, of course, kind of a you know an awkward touchdown, one of those, but still two touchdowns that did help the Ravens break away from this game. Mark Andrews had an injury. He might be out for the rest of the season. Do you guys think the Bengals needed this game and have any chance to make the playoffs, especially with how they started off the season? I'd say so, yeah. I'd say this is... This is a tough loss for them, and I mean the Texans. Texans obviously own the tiebreaker now with the Bengals in the AFC Wild Card race, and they're going to be on the outside looking in. But still, I mean the Browns. 
Obviously, with their quarterback injury, with Deshaun Watson being out for the season, the Steelers at six and three, they're not the you know not the best six and three team. I think they're probably the worst six and three team in the league right now. But I would say the Bengals, if if Burrow is healthy, if Burrow is uh, if Burrow's healthy, they can still make it to the playoffs, still get a wild card, but. The Ravens are taking this division. Yeah, that's the thing that gives me pause is just look at the rest of the AFC. I don't trust the Steelers. The Browns without Deshaun Watson. If Joe Burrow's healthy, obviously that's the big caveat. If Joe Burrow's healthy, I still kind of believe in this team to make a run. I don't know if they can get all the way back and get into the playoffs, but I'm not going to count them out if they've got a healthy Joe Burrow. So, yeah, last night, I I hate using the term must win unless it's late in the season and it kind of eliminates you from the playoff race. So I don't think I would go as far as to say yesterday was a must-win, but that's kind of a season-changing game because if they would have won, they would have been within a half game of the Ravens. But I don't really have much confidence in the Steelers or the Browns. They're going to have a tough time potentially with the Texans if they continue to keep winning. But uh, I think the Bengals are still in this. I think last night was more about the Ravens taking control of the division. They're up two and a half on the Bengals. They're uh, in control, it seems like, against the Browns and the Steelers. I think the, the Ravens are on their way to winning the North. Let's move on, guys. Week 11, rest of the games of Week 11. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your closest game of the week? Uh, Closest game of the week is going to be Steelers-Browns. I don't know if it's going to be the prettiest game, but it's going to be close because you got two really good defenses. You've got Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, maybe the two best defensive players in the league. And you talk about the first time these teams played, 26-22 Pittsburgh winning on Monday Night Football up in Pittsburgh earlier in the season with two defensive touchdowns. They may need something similar to win the game this week, but I'll tell you, Jalen Warren has started to come on these last couple weeks. Uh, Three of his last four games, over 75 yards rushing. He's become the number one running back there. The Browns have have, been able to run the ball even without Nick Chubb. I think this is a low-scoring defensive, kind of got 13-10 written all over it, a big uh, black and blue defensive game in the AFC North. So I'm going Steelers-Browns. I was going to ask you, what do you think the over-under is uh, right now, if you had to guess? Um, I guess I think we can find that out, but I I can tell you it's probably not very high. Thirty-two and a half right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm still might go under. Oh yeah, I mean I think that thirteen that this game screams thirteen to ten, like you said, a classic AFC North matchup, especially with the offense that they've been struggling so much, like you've been saying. My closest game of the week, I'm actually going to go with the Raiders and Dolphins. Surprisingly, Raiders two and zero after firing Josh McDaniels, Antonio Pierce looking pretty good for the team, even in consideration to be the guy going forward uh, next year for the team uh, as the head coach. Uh, both these two wins for the Raiders, of course, were against the Giants and the Jets at home. But um, Raiders passing defense is probably one of the best in the league. They're one of the few teams that hold teams under 200 yards per game, off, you know, in the air. Uh, their de- pass defense is the only thing that keeps them alive. Their run defense is absolutely, absolutely miserable. Devon Chain is going to be back for the Dolphins most likely. That's going to be a big problem for the Raiders. But the Raiders, like I said, are in a big momentum right now. And, uh, yeah, Dolphins have been struggling with teams that have been playing pretty good all year long. So I do think this is going to be an interesting game. I think the Raiders are going to keep this a lot closer. I think it's the biggest uh, differential, the biggest spread right now going into Week 11. I think it's like 12 and a half right now. I definitely will take the Raiders to at least cover that. They may even, you know, come out with a surprise here. We don't know. But I definitely think it's going to be closer than um, what Vegas is going to put this number at uh, on Sunday. Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? Uh, closest game of the week. I... Oh, yeah, close game. Yeah, close game of the week. Sorry. I'm going to go Vikings-Broncos here. I think this is going to be an interesting Sunday night game. Don't underestimate the Denver Broncos. After starting off one and five, they've won three straight. 
They're back at home against the Vikings. Short week for them. But I think this is going to be a close, low-scoring game. So I would say I'd say in the 20s somewhere, 23-20. I think this is going to be very close. Moving on. Now most intriguing storyline. Zach, what is your most intriguing storyline? Well, obviously, I mean, we're going to talk about Monday Night Football on the Monday show. So that would obviously be the most intriguing storyline. But uh, as far as the, the rest of it, I want to see – Jets, Bills, which one responds? The Jets, offensively, they've been bad You know, these last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Obviously, have really been bad all season with Zach Wilson. It's a must-win for them in all likelihood because they're 4-5. and five. They dropped this. They're pretty much out of the AFC East mix. And the case of the Bills, are we going to see a revitalized version of them without Ken Dorsey now? Can Josh Allen stop turning the ball over? And remember, the first time these teams played, they tur- uh, the Bills turned the ball over four times, and they lost a game that they should not have, and that's one of the games that – really sticks out on their resume it sticks out as to why they're not in the playoffs right now so this is essentially a must win for the Jets for sure and if the Bills lose then they're going to be in uh, deep trouble as far as making the playoffs too so which one of these teams kind of keeps their season alive that's gonna be my surprise of the week actually and I'll get to that in a second of course but for now my most intriguing storyline uh you mentioned it already Zach uh Steelers Browns um it's T.J. Watt against Miles Garrett. We had Ray Fittipato on, on Thursday's show a couple of days ago. We kind of broke it down with him. T.J. Watt playing defensive player of the year caliber, but so is Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, 11 sacks in the season. T.J. Watt, 10 and a half sacks. Miles Garrett with four forced fumbles. Uh, T.J. Watt with two of those. Miles Garrett with one fumble recovery, and T.J. Watt with three of those. So kind of have um, very similar stat lines heading into this game, that being T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. So my most my most intriguing storyline of this game is you know who's going to come away at the end of this game being the front runner to win the award at the end of the year and that's going to really I mean whoever wins this game on defense because this game will be won on defense it's not going to be won on offense so whoever comes out with this game whoever comes out with the victory on Sunday I think will be the front runner uh, for DPOI uh, at the end of the year so that's that's going to be my most intriguing Justin how about you what is your most intriguing storyline this Sunday I want to see how the Jaguars respond against the Titans the Titans. 3-16, and 16, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're the worst 6-3 and three team, if I would say, but it's a divisional game. It's in Jacksonville. Also, Trevor Lawrence has only nine touchdown passes and six interceptions through the first nine games of the season. That's – it's not, a, not the worst stat, but it's definitely very telling. I mean, shockingly, Trevor Lawrence does, doesn't – have more than nine touchdowns on the season, but uh, I want to see how Jacksonville responds after that uh, after that blowout loss at home against the 49ers, where the Titans could be flying under the radar here at three and six. Yeah, I don't think they're under the radar. I think Will Levis will end up being a really good quarterback, though. That's all I would. Have, that's all I have to say for the Titans so far. Uh, they still have Rabel, of course, and uh, I think uh, this year. I think this year is going to be really good for Will Levis to kind of get his feet wet and then get a full training camp again next year under his belt. We can see how he comes out next year. But I don't know about this year for the Titans. But they, who knows? I mean, I wouldn't say this is an upset, but they, I, I do think that, that the Titans could be able to cover, but maybe not. But I think, uh, I think Jacksonville still wins, but I want to see how they really bounce back from last week's loss. Zach, what is your shootout of, uh, surprise of the week, excuse me. 
Ah, uh, surprise of the week. I'm actually going to go with the Packers over the Chargers because it's an early kick for the Chargers. I don't trust them away from SoFi Stadium. I don't really trust them in general. And I know the Packers haven't been all that great as of late, but they can run the ball. And we look at the Chargers, they really struggle to stop the run. I think A.J. Dillon's going to have a big game. And at some point, I think the Packers are going to show a little bit of pride. You know, this is a team that's very well coached, a team that's been very successful over the years. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers had a lot to do with that, but they've got a decent roster around them. And again, this is just kind of hedging against the Chargers on the road as much as it is back in the pack. But I'm going to go with the Packers over the Chargers. Yeah, I mentioned already, I already alluded to it. My surprise surprise of the week is going to be the Jets over the Bills. Bills are absolutely positively in the wrong direction. Allen putting up great numbers, 2,600 yards for, for the season, but his interceptions are such a problem. I mean, he leads the NFL in interceptions again at that 11th. Uh, last game against the Jets, Allen played awful, and I think he's going to play awful again. Zach Wilson's stats are not the best either, but he's actually been playing. He's been being a pretty good game manager, all things considered, for you know for the Jets. The defense, I do think this defense for the Jets is going to give the Bills a lot of lot of trouble, especially like I said, I'm still very concerned with Josh Allen's turnovers and uh, their secondary on the Jets, and their you know pass rush on the Jets is going to be. Something that I think is going to really, really bother the Bills and have Bills are going to have a really, really hard time with the Jets. Justin, what is your uh, surprise of the week? Surprise of the week, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Raiders over the Dolphins here. I I think this is going to be. I, I think the Raiders have some new life in them with uh, with Antonio Pierce as the head coach. I mean, he's just rejuvenated that team. I mean, I know it's only against the Giants and the Jets, but the Dolphins coming off a bye, I'm not I'm not particularly sure yet. I want to see what the Dolphins could do here. I mean, they're definitely a 6-3 and three team, but I will say with the Dolphins, they've only beaten some really bad teams. They've beaten, they are 0-3. Three. three of their losses have come to the Bills. Not a contender, but... They uh, were contender going into the year. The Eagles, obviously, and the Chiefs at uh, in uh, in Germany. But uh, I could see the I, I could see the Raiders coming coming out of here with an upset. The Raiders are flying under the radar. They could be a wild card team in the AFC. I mean, we've talked about it. Maybe even the Broncos and the Raiders surprisingly could get wild card spots if the Steelers fall apart, and the Browns with their quarterback injury, and the Bengals as well with Burrow's injury if he's still healthy. So I think the Raiders are going to come out come out of Miami with an upset. Yeah, this might be a hot take, as they say, but I do think the Broncos are probably one of the most one of the biggest teams flying under the radar right now. I mean, they they really have put things together. The defense is playing really really well. Russell Wilson playing well again. Uh, probably the best he's been playing as a Bronco for sure. Even getting kind of back to his old way. I'm not going to say he's back yet, but definitely been playing a whole, whole lot better. Zach, what is your shootout of the week? I'm going to go with an underrated one. I'm going to go Vikings-Broncos. I think mm-hmm. these teams have an opportunity to put some points on the board. Josh Dobbs is poised and polished in his two starts. You look at Russell Wilson, that's an offense that's starting to get better as well. They can run the ball. Uh, the receiving core with Cortland Sutton led by him. Jerry Judy's played well these last couple weeks. I think this is a chance to be a shootout, especially with good weather in the Mile High City, you know, Sunday night. I think Russell Wilson and Josh Dobbs have a shootout here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that game. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Cowboys versus Panthers. Not gonna be a good game by any means. The Cowboys are absolutely blowing out uh, bad teams this year. 
Week one, 40 to nothing against the Giants. Week two, 30 to 10 against the Jets. Patriots to 33. Um, and so, yeah, they're, I mean, Giants, even just last week, when you look at they beat the Giants 49 17. So they're blowing out teams uh, left and right. Third highest point differential in the NFL. Again, like I said, that's just because they're killing the teams that they should be killing. Over under is 41 and a half in this game. I think the Cowboys themselves have a potential to get this. Justin, how about you? What is your shootout of the week? My shootout of the week, I am gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Eagles and the Chiefs. It's gonna be a very close game. I think it's yeah. gonna be a shootout. And uh I I think this is gonna be whoever it's it's gonna be like the Super Bowl, maybe not 38-35, but definitely what quarterback could put up more points on the board. And if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble, Jalen Hurts doesn't turn the ball over in that game, the Eagles win. But in this game, if Hurts doesn't turn it over, it's going to be really who has the first turnover of the game wins. And yeah. it's going to be a very it's going it's going to be just like the Super Bowl. It's going to maybe not 38-35, but whoever has the first turn turnover, I think is going to is going to lose the game. So Eagles and Chiefs, Super Bowl rematch. That's going to be an awesome game. Zach, what is your uh, – take us to the opposite end of the spectrum here. What is your uh, snoozer of the week? Giants commanders. Who cares yeah. about this yeah. game? First time yeah. they played it was 14-7. I expect more of the same. The Giants are unwatchable at this point. The commanders have you know fallen off a little bit. This is a snooze fest. Yeah, DeVito sacked five times last week against the Cowboys in his first NFL start. He only went 14 for 27 with only 87 passing yards. Washington. Biggest uh, favorite, uh, big, biggest point spread favorite uh, since 2017. They are opening up as nine and a half going into Sunday. Ron Rivera, he's lost six of his last eight games. However, the commanders have looked really, really good the last three games, though. Uh, 26 points per game, 420 yards average. Commanders are going to definitely beat the Giants. I hope they uh, put up a lot more points than 14 to 7, like you said, Zach, the last time they played in Washington. But uh, going to be a snoozer, though, for sure. Justin, what is your snoozer of the week? Uh, we're all on the same page. Giants, Commanders. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just – it's too – I mean, you got Tommy DeVito against Sam Howell. I mean, Sam Howell's been playing pretty well, but this this game's going to be a snoozer. This game's going to probably be higher than 14-7, but still. Favorites of the week. A lot of them we can choose from this week. Uh a lot of lopsided matches, but Zach, we'll start with you. What is your snoozer of the week? I'm actually going to go with the Lions over the Bears. The Bears are yeah. not particularly good right now. I don't care if Justin Fields or Tyson Bajan plays. The Lions might be the best team in the NFC, not named Philadelphia Eagles right now, and they might have a chance to be the number one seed because their schedule is a lot more favorable than the Eagles are down the stretch. So I'm going to say the Lions get it done, the, that two-headed running tandem with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery running the ball well. Jared Goff it has been as comfortable as he's been probably in his entire career, and this is uh, – a the, the Lions are as complete as any team in the NFC. I think the Lions take care of business against the Bears, and it's hard yeah. to believe we're saying all these good things about the Lions, but that's exactly what we're doing. My, I'm going to go with the Texans uh, over the Cardinals. Cardinals don't even want to win at this point. I think that at, going into this week, they do they do hold the number one overall pick uh, going into next year. I don't think they're going to hold on to Kyler Murray long term. I think they definitely want to get somebody to replace him. I think he's still an awesome quarterback. But I think it's in Cardinals' best interest to trade him and get some, you know, get some trade value, build up, you know, build up the team from scratch, because uh, yeah, they're not going to get done now with or without Kyler Murray, and so I think this team needs to really, really consider rebuilding. 
uh, get some trades for Kyler Murray, get a quarterback for next year. And Texans, of course, other side of the ball, they've been playing amazing. CJ Stroud made this team pretty much. D'Amico Ryan made this team a playoff contender when no one even expected them to be this far. So, yeah, Texans playing well. Cardinals don't want to win. Give me Cardinals over the Commanders pretty, pretty comfortably. Justin, what is your uh, favor of the week? I'm going Texans over the Cardinals. Yeah. Texans, very impressive team this year. They're at home. The Cardinals, basically nothing to play for except the top top three pick. Moving on, guys. I brought this up last week. MLB had the worst viewership in history in the World Series this past year, uh, you know, this past World Series, Rangers, Diamondbacks. I do want to touch base on it a little more, though, guys. MLB, they had the, the owners meeting just over the week. I know uh, athletics were brought up. Athletics probably will be moving now to Las Vegas. They did bring in some possible role changes going into next year. I want to get your just overall, you know, knee-jerk reactions from these potential role changes, given how this last round of role changes they had this first round, I guess you can say, you know, with the increased bases, pitch clock, shifting in the outfield. How do you guys feel about the, maybe the thought of more uh, role changes coming in, especially given the fact, like we said, the MLB had kind of struggling with viewership over the last uh, couple of years here. I don't think you need too many more rule changes. The one thing I would do is I would probably change the playoff format a little bit. I think what we saw yeah. this year is it's just it just exposed the – teams that it, it did not reward the teams for being better in the regular season. In fact, it probably punished them because this isn't the NFL where they're used to having a week off, you know, having a couple bye weeks during the season. That's not the case in baseball. You're playing every other day. And so these guys yeah. not playing for a week takes them completely out of their rhythm. And we're seeing, you know, yes, upsets happen. But when that many favorites lose, then that's kind of signifying that there may not necessarily be something right with the system. So I think the playoff format should be switched up a little bit so that we're not getting – you know, the favorites, they're not being punished for being the best teams all season long. Yeah, not only that, but find ways to get stars in the in the, in the the tournament as well and in the playoffs. I mean, you look at Otani, he just won MVP. Kuna just won MVP as well uh, for their respective, comp- you know, their respective league, National League, uh, American League. They weren't even in the conference finals, either one of them. Obviously, Otani didn't even make um, the playoffs, and, you know, Kuna obviously didn't make the NLCS either. So that's a big part of the game as well, you know, I think revamping the playoff structure could help a lot with that as well, Zach. Like you just said, the better teams, the teams that should have, you know, afford to go to at least the conference finals will end up doing that. And I think because that's what people want to see. They want to see the stars. And that's why MLB has having a big problem, you know, reaching out to a lot of people because these stars are not, you know, they're not broadcasting the game because they're simply not playing. Bryce Harper, you know, every time he was out on the field in the NLCS, he was broadcasting the game because he's a big star. But if the stars are not on the field, you know, the game is not being uh, advertised to the public. And that's going to be the big concern. I think playing, changing, like you said, Zach, the playoff structure where they could really allow these stars to be playing in the big games, get some more recognition for the sport. That's why the World Series ratings mm-hmm. were down because there wasn't yeah, a big sure. star yeah. on the field. Uh, then for sure. No one really knew um, anyone. I mean, no one really knew anyone playing on the team. I mean, Corbin Carroll has been coming up for the Diamondbacks, of course, but they just had no stars. And no one's going to watch if they can't, you know, really put a name to a face, uh, you know, either on the outfield or at the batter's box. So that was a big part of the reason why the, you know, viewings were so bad and why good teams with stars have to make it deeper into the playoffs. And so hopefully changing the playoff structure will help with that. Writer's block. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your writer's block of the week? Uh, can it be anybody other than Carissa Thompson? I mean, yeah. saying that she's fabricating sideline reports and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
yeah, that's that's not great. Doesn't help the sideline industry, and it doesn't help when people uh, make fun of the industry as it is, and people look at sideline reporters as eye candy, and you know they don't have anything of substance. Well, this is the very reason why people look at it that way is because you're making up sideline reports, and yeah, you can fill in half of it, and yeah, you can just say you know coaches don't want to talk and everything, but. You know, why don't you just say that? Coach didn't want to talk to me. That's more transparent than making up some random football jargon and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Carissa Thompson not helping the industry out. I know she's not a sideline reporter anymore. She's a host, and I actually think she's pretty good at it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you I, I think if you listen to the interview, I think it's a little more tongue-in-cheek. I mean, pardon my take isn't exactly the most serious Big J journalism outlet there is, and she's probably just having fun with it, but – uh, I, the reaction to it, I think, right. has been a little bit over the top as well. I think people have made too much of it. But, yeah, yeah Carissa Thompson's a big story with the writer's block. I think the reaction's been over the top. I think it's been a little bit overrated. But she probably shouldn't have said it anyway. I don't, I don't know the whole story, but I do know people are saying it was taken out of context too. Yeah, no, my first thought, though, when I heard this was how many other people do this that you just don't even realize? Um, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine she's the only one that really does this, uh, especially, like I said, when, they, when you said Zach, they do get into a pinch and they don't really have anything to, to talk about because of the coach is being, you know, unresponsive or whatever it be. So that was my first, you know, thing I thought of, but, you know, how often is this really happening week to week? But, yeah, you know, it's not a good look. Uh, puts journalists on, on, on the hot seat a little bit, uh, like you said, Zach, too, puts them on watch a little bit, which is probably the last thing that they really want to be happening. Um, I'm going to go NFL investigating Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow came in uh, on Thursday night with a wrist, uh, you know, with a, with a brace on his wrist. So a lot of people are wondering, you know, did he have the wrist injury before the game? And, you know, the Bengals didn't really disclose this. I know it goes against their you know, injury disclosing policy and all that. So that's kind of my writer's block. I think it's a little bit overrated. I don't think he was injured. I think it might have gotten worse during the game, obviously. I don't think it was really as much of a problem you know, before the game started, especially not enough of a problem for him not to play. Bengals would not put him on the injury reserve or the injury list, excuse me. And I think the NFL making a big deal about this. Ravens at the end of the day even won the game. So who cares? Let's just let's just drop it. Justin, what is your writer's block of the week? My writer's block of the week is the Dan Campbell to Texas A&M rumors. He's not leaving the Detroit Lions to go back to his alma mater. And I know it, it kind of makes sense. But he is not a tight ends coach anymore. He is the head coach of the Detroit Lions, who are having very good success and pro- and possibly could get to the NFC title game, maybe the Super Bowl this year. It's it's like going from the major leagues to the minor leagues as a manager, right? I mean, what is he going to go to the CFL? I mean, the Detroit Lions are having top tier success right now, and. These Dan Campbell rumors are a little out of proportion going to Texas A&M. They do need a coach. I, I do think they're going to pay a lot of big money to get a head coach, especially with the money that goes into that football program. But uh, Dan Campbell to, to Texas A&M, some of, these, some of these rumors, some of these articles, a little out of proportion. Moving on, guys, Erin Slindy. Let's get to our interview with her. Breaking down Oregon Ducks. Uh, Oregon State Beavers, they play each other at rivalry week coming up in two weeks for that Platypus Trophy. Oregon State, I think they, we talked about it a little bit on Thursday's show. I think they're on upset watch. I think they play, I mean, they play Washington and they play Oregon. And like I just said, last game of the year, I think uh, they definitely have a chance to beat at least one of those teams, make some noise here. Uh, and then Oregon, of course, Bo Nix playing amazing. Getting more with her, you know, discussing Bo Nix being the potential 
Heisman frontrunner going into next week, week 12 here in college football. But without further ado, awesome interview with Gert. Let's head to the Pacific Northwest and talk to Aaron. Okay, let's head to the Pacific Northwest and talk to Aaron Slimby, uh, sports reporter for KVAL in Eugene. Uh, Aaron, you cover everything in the state of Washington, especially the college scene. Going to talk some Oregon Ducks with you. Going to talk some Beavers or Oregon State Beavers with you as well. Uh, but first, I do want to touch base with the Ducks. Bo Nix and his team running right now, absolutely rolling. Outside, looking in for the college football playoffs. We've already said it on the show in the past. Whoever wins the Pac-12 championship will most likely be going to the playoffs. So that being said, bearing any upsets, we'll get to Oregon State being the last game of the season uh, later. Bearing any upsets, they're on a crash course with Washington for the Pac-12 title. How excited are fans for this game coming up at the end of the year? I mean, yeah. I mean, looking at the first game that they played, Washington, really close game, came down to a field goal. Candid Lewis just couldn't put it between the uprights. I mean, that game could have easily, you know, there was the margin of error was just so tiny that that game could have gone either way. So I think Oregon fans right now are so excited. Um, so, you know, you got to win the first, uh, the last two games of the season before you get to the Pac-12 championship. But I think, you know, fans are really excited to see Washington back in Las Vegas on December 1st. Describe Bo Nix. I mean, do you think he's a the front runner for the Heisman right now, in your personal opinion? Just over 3,000 yards, 30, over 3,100 yards, 29 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Takes care of the ball extremely, extremely well. Do you think he's the front runner right now for, uh, for Heisman? You know, personally, I do think he is the front runner right now, even though, I mean, Oregon does have that loss uh, to Washington and Michael Pettix Jr. is another great uh, Pac-12 quarterback. There's a lot of great quarterbacks within the Pac-12, but right now I think Bo Nix is the front runner being because just the way he's led Oregon since the Washington loss. I mean, Washington has had a lot of really close games. Pettix says, you know, even looking at the stats in that game, I think, you know, Duck fans would probably be biased and say that Bonix is the front runner. But yeah, going back to his stats, his stats look almost identical to Marcus Mariota's mm-hmm. when he won the Heisman. So I think right now, um, you know, just the way Bonix is leading this team and not settling for the standard, not letting them get complacent, um, I think he's putting himself in a great spot to um, be a winner in New York City in a couple weeks. What are the critiques of the team saying? Like, what are the fans uh, critiques? Like, any any critiques that the fans are you know, having on the team that they need to improve, especially if they want to make a run in the playoffs? Well, I think the first thing that the team has been very critical of is just penalties, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of games, uh, they give teams a lot of yards just because they hurt themselves. So I think, um, especially going in these last two games, preparing for a Pac-12 championship, preparing to go to a CFP, I think that's one of the things that they can't allow themselves to do is hurt themselves through penalties. Um, I think right now the offense is in great shape. I think they're one of the most versatile offenses in the entire country with running backs Jordan James and Bucky Irving and wide receivers Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson all just being on right now. I think they're putting themselves in a really good position. So just continuing to go out strong, uh, strong start, which I think they've really done since the Washington game, I think that's really going to help put them in a great position. Is this the best Oregon team you've seen since the, you know, Chip Kelly, Marcus Mariota days? Yeah, well, I just think Dan Lanning is an incredible full mm-hmm. package. He is the ultimate hype man. These players absolutely love playing for him. Everything about him, I think just the way that he recruits, um, both at the high school and in the portal, um, and just being able to have um, get that connection within the players. I feel like sometimes there's such a big divide between head coaches um, and their teams, but I do truly think that Dan Lanning does a really good job of bringing everyone together and really keeping this team on a track to be able to do something great, like make it to a CFP. You mentioned Dan Lanning, glaring 
open position at Texas A&M right now after you know the firing of Jimbo Jimbo Fisher. Uh, I know there's been some speculations. A lot of names, of course, are being thrown out there with that vacant spot. And, you know, it's really uh, enticing for a lot of people being the SEC. What um, any uh, rumblings of him potentially leaving, uh, especially if they don't make the playoffs this year, him leaving uh, to go to Texas A&M? Well, I mean, he said in this press conference on Monday is that Oregon where he is where he wants to be. He has three teenage boys right now that have lived in 10 different states their entire wow. lives. Um, and so, you know, just looking at it from that, I mean, you think about it, we're, we're in year two of the Dan Lanning era, and they're already in a CFP conversation. Dan Lanning is exactly where he wants to be in just two years of being a head coach for the very first time. There's nothing, you know, about this job that's making him want to leave. He has the backing of Phil Knight. I mean, they're going into a new conference next year in the Big Ten, competing against other powerhouse teams like Michigan and Ohio State um, in the future. So I just really think there's no reason for him to leave. If he were to leave to go to Texas A&M, yes, it would be um, to the SEC. But, I mean, right now, he there's only probably about one to maybe four other jobs in the country that is above where he is right now. So I think, you know, he's his, he's on a mission to win a national championship for Oregon, and he completely sees that as a possibility in where he is right now. How do fans expect Oregon to match up in the Big Ten next year? Are they excited for the move, or are they upset for the move? I mean, we actually had somebody on from Washington, or, you know, Seattle, uh, Brandon Gustafson, come on, and we talked about the same thing with Washington. I'm going to ask you the same question now, too. I mean, I'm from the East Coast. A lot of, I don't really talk to many people that are Pac-12 fans, obviously being from where I am in the East Coast, uh, as you can probably imagine. Just what are like, the fans overall, one, just the Pac-12 dismantling next year, and then two, specifically just like Oregon leaving the Pac-12? Like, what, what are people saying? Is it, is it, is it sad excitement? What, what, what's the sentiment? I think people are sad just because looking at the Pac-12 this year and how strong mm -hmm. all of the teams are, we'd love to see a conference like this continue. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, Oregon and Washington had to put themselves in the best position um, financially sure. um, and competitively to go forward. And, you know, when you have teams like USC and UCLA leave, um, it's hard to do that. And so I think that, you know, the, the schools that are leaving had to make the best decision for themselves and, you know, Washington State and Oregon State are kind of left in trying to uh, either bring in schools to the Pac-12 or um, be able to leave for another conference, which they are, are trying to do. They just want all the rights to um, Pac-12 decisions going forward um, into the next year. So that's really great for them. But I think fans are really excited to see how um, Oregon matches up against Michigan and Ohio State in the regular season, mm -hmm. um, which where we are now, um, I think that – it's really interesting to see this, the different styles of play between all of the conferences kind of collide um, these next couple of years. So I'm really excited. I think Oregon fans are excited for the Big Ten, knowing that I think they understand that the university made the best decision um, mm -hmm. possible. But, you know, Oregon State fans on the other side are really disappointed, um, knowing that Oregon did have the opportunity to stay and make the Pac-12 something great. But... Um, now the Pac-12 is the Pac-2, which leaves Oregon State and Washington State, two great programs that have had a lot of success, um, yep. kind of hanging. Yeah, no, you mentioned the difference of style of play between, you know, Pac-12, Big Ten. Uh, Oregon last year allowed 27.4 points per game. This year, 15.6, almost 12 points less. Pac-12 known for high explosive offenses. Big Ten, a little more emphasis put on the defense. So, I mean, how huge 
was that adjustment this year, you know, on the defense side of the ball, you know, in lieu of getting ready to go to the Big Ten next year? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, defensive coordinator Josh Lapoy did a great job in the portal bringing in players like Tysheem Johnson, Kyrie Jackson, Evan Williams, that really helped Oregon in the secondary. And then having a really explosive D-line um, with Brandon Dorless and Jordan Burge, I think just gives them such the upper hand. I think that was one area that they – that Dan Lanning knew that he had to improve if he was going to compete for a Pac-12 championship this year. So I truly think that that'll be really interesting to see. I think just the style of play, it's going to continue to adapt every single year. And I think the Big Ten is going to bring in new players. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more flashy offense with Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC coming in. So I'm really excited to see how the two styles kind of blend with the um, flashy offenses in the Pac-12 and just the powerful defenses in the Big Ten. I'm really excited just to see this next phase of college football. How concerned are we from an upset, though? I mean, it it seems like we're due, right? It seems like we're due for an upset, whether that be Washington, whether that be Oregon. Like, how scared are we in the next couple of weeks? Arizona State and then Oregon State, we'll get through in a second as well, though. Well, we know that, you know, Oregon you, or Arizona State, Kenny Dillingham, the former offensive coordinator, he is going to throw everything in the kitchen sink to try and beat Oregon this year. The game is in Tempe. Uh, Rashada has been out practically all year. He can play the last two games and still keep his red shirt. Kenny said yesterday that he doesn't look like he's going to play, but I would not be surprised to see him back out on the field this year. But they I mean they've had injuries at so many different positions. They've had injuries mm-hmm. at running back, tight end, center, right tackle, D-line. So... What this Arizona State, you know, lineup could look like, who knows? But, um, you know, I I do think the Ducks get it done in the desert. Um, Just fundamentally, I think they're just a better team no matter what Kenny Dillingham throws at them. Um, But I do think that Oregon State does have a chance to take down Washington. Since that Oregon game, Washington has played it really close with some teams that they easily should have beat. So I think that unless Washington comes in extremely prepared, I think Oregon State in the new research stadium, last time playing Washington at least for a while, I think they have a great chance to get an upset and kind of shake things up a little bit before the Pac-12 championship. You talk about Oregon State, and you know this is a good segue to talk more specifically about the team. I mean, they're 11th in the country. I wouldn't even consider it how big of an upset it would even be because you know, they're still not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they've had one of the best offenses in the entire league. Yeah, 100%. I think I think with the addition of DJ Uyunglele as quarterback, I think that's what their team was kind of missing last season. I mean, they had Ben Branson in, who was able to get the job done when Chance Nolan went down in the game against Utah. Um, so bringing him in, that has really elevated the offense. They have one of the best running games in the entire Pac-12 with Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick, and then, you know, they're being able to be more consistent on the outside with Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould kind of making an impact um, on the wideouts. I think their offense has come a really long way, and their defense, has that's what they've always been known for. They are a little banged up right now, which I would say, you know, if they can get some of those players back, um, especially by the Oregon game, I think they have a good shot, but I just do think that Oregon right now, their offense and their defense are at a little bit higher of a level. So I think it will be really hard for the Beavers to pull up um, an an upset in Autzen Stadium. Just knowing that they did it last year, I think Oregon is going to come in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and really take it to them. Yeah, no, it's, um, and we also said it too, their defense has improved since last year as well. I mean, last year, I think it was about 38-34, the final score when they played Oregon State last year. And, uh, you know, they, like I said, their defense is going to come back improved this year. Oregon State, anything else you really want to say? I mean, how 
do you think they've been flying under the radar for the most part? I know I just kind of already asked that. I'll, I'll kind of ask it in another light. Another light. Like, do you think they've been kind of um, kind of slept on a little bit for how good of a team they've really been this year? Because I think all the attention is always taken off. You know, it's taken off them because of Oregon and Washington, and I think they haven't really gotten as much recognition uh, that they deserve. And I think they definitely have potential, especially if they can win one of their, you know, one of these two next games. They're definitely going to be in contention to have an, at least a New York Six Bowl. I think more so, it's it's the Pac-12 in general. I mean, if Washington um, beats Arizona State by a couple more points, they take it to them some other games, like they're probably within that top four. But it's because Oregon State is such a great team. They're undermined. They're still ranked 11th. And they have losses to Washington State, who started the season really, really strong. And Arizona right now, who's making a great run in the Pac-12. I just think people get caught up in how competitive the Pac-12 really is when you have such elite-level quarterbacks all in one conference running offenses. It's crazy the amount of upsets that can happen. Um, so I more so think that the Pac-12 is underrated, not so much Oregon State, because they do have those two losses to Washington State and Arizona. And heading into these last two games, um, you know, I think things would look a lot more different if they had those two wins instead of two losses. Is Oregon State going to become the team of Oregon uh, now, that the, now that Oregon is leaving to go to the Big, Big Ten? I mean, I know Pac-12 is such a, you know, obviously a West and Midwest conference, and now Oregon State is going to be the only team left, uh, you know, them and only Washington State really are going to be the only team left in the conference. So is Oregon State going to take the mantle as uh, the state's uh, kind of headlining team? I mean, I just think that whatever happens, Oregon is going to a big, a big Power Five conference. And right now, with two teams left in the Pac-12, you're no longer a Power Five conference. They're going to be forced to have to go to a conference like the Mountain West. So they're probably going to become the smaller school. Now, that being said, there's no reason why Oregon State can't be the powerhouse in another mm -hmm. conference. I think that'll be great. But I do think that this is a, this is a state that's divided. You're either a duck or you're either a beaver. I don't think that any, no matter what happens, that any fan is going to go, um, you know, jump boat to the other side just because of this conference switch. Um, but I do think that just in the nature of it, with it being where it is right now, Oregon is going into a secure conference, and Oregon State does not have that same security. So um, I really don't think that Oregon State's going to take over as being the College of Oregon, because I do think that Oregon still is going to have that power presence College basketball is back, obviously. I've got, we've got like three, four games in for each team. What's Oregon's outlook this year, for, you know, going into the season? Um, you know, I know they've been struggling with some injuries already, and I know you kind of touch on that a little bit more, but kind of, you know, I haven't really been their winning Oregon basketball that we've been seeing, you know, in the past. And what are they doing to kind of get back to that winning ways? And uh, how's the season outlook in general uh, seen, you know, you know, heading into the season here? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of strong players that came back. Jermaine Cousinard, Keyshawn Bartholomew, and Nefali Dante has been a big one. Although he's struggled to kind of uh, not get banged up, he had a great first game uh, when the Ducks traveled to Las Vegas to take on the Georgia Bulldogs, which not a huge, strong team in the SEC, but they managed to get a win, and um, they're on a good streak now. So I'm just excited to see them keep that rolling and you know, if Nafali Dante is able to get healthy, if Mookie Cook can come back, if Jackson Shellstad is able to be the player that Dana Alden thinks he's able to be. I think this Oregon uh, basketball team is really set to have a great year. And I know last year um, it was really disappointing. Dana Altman made um, 
you know, a statement at the end of the season that he's disappointed with how many fans um, are supporting their team, knowing that, you know, he wants this team to win. He, he knows what Oregon is capable of. They should be able to bring players in to such a prestigious university and achieve at the highest level of college sports. So it's just being able to find the players, keep them healthy in order to do that. But again, as excited as, you know, we are to have uh, the last season of Pac-12 football, we're also going to have the last season of Pac-12 basketball, too which is also highly competitive. So I'm really excited for everything to get uh, started back up. Right now it's crossover season, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm losing my head a little bit, but I'm excited. <laughs> what, um, what would be a successful season for the Oregon Ducks basketball this year? You know, again, given the success that they've had in the past, I mean, would it just be ending the season, a, a top-ranked team? Would that be a successful season for the team? I think, you know, being able to be in the top half of the Pac-12 conference and make the NCAA tournament last year. They had some good runs, but they just fell short of that goal. They made the um, the NIT. They ended up losing at home. It was it was really heartbreaking. So I just think to see them work really hard and stay healthy enough where they are able to make that NCAA tournament, I think is going to be a great goal for them. I'd love to see them um, in the tournament this year. Yeah, last year, uh, pretty poor performance from the Pac-12 offensive hitter. I mean, Arizona, by far the best team probably in the Pac-12 going into the tournament last year. They didn't have a team that made the uh, Sweet 16. It's going to be, you know, I don't know if it's going to be USC this year, if it's going to be UCLA, we don't know. But um, just in general, uh, I know the Pac-12 on its last year would love to have a good showing in the tournament. 100%. 100%, I would agree. I don't think the... The basketball is as strong as the as the football, but no. you never know what could happen. Yeah, I mean they've been coming up lately, though. I mean UCLA has always been, you know, one of the best teams, of course, in college basketball. They're always going to be up there. But even Arizona over the last couple of years, USC has been a really good basketball program too. They've been kind of coming up. But yeah, this has been awesome, Aaron. I don't know if anything else you want to say before we head out, but no, I really appreciate your time. This has been, this has been awesome. I really uh, can't can't thank you enough for coming on and giving us some time to talk some uh, Oregon sports with us. Yeah, of course. I think I'm really excited to see what this Oregon football team can do. I think they have uh, the right head coach. I think they have the right quarterback. And I think they've done the right thing since last season to really improve this er uh, this team in every area in order to be able to achieve that goal. So I'd really love to see them go far knowing, um, you know, the preparation and focus that they've really put in into making this goal happen behind the scenes. Aaron, we'll be in touch, okay? Have to do this again sometime. Like I said, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have you on in the future and we'll love to have a recurring guest. So. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. We'll be, we'll be in touch. Okay. Off the map, long haul of the week. Let's finish up the show, guys. Justin, we'll start with you. What is your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week is Jared Goff. And the reason I say Jared Goff is my off the map he should be considered as a top 10 NFL quarterback. The way he is playing in Detroit, he is playing much better than Matthew Stafford ever played with the Detroit Lions. And he has basically turned that team around as a success story. I mean, Dan Campbell, obviously, being the being the head coach that he is, uh, rejuvenating energy into that team. And, and Jared Goff could – and Jared Goff is part of it. He should be considered – a top 10 quarterback. I'm going to go with Tyrese Halliburton as my uh, off the map of the week. Not getting as much recognition as he should be. Small, small market guy. So far this season, Halliburton is averaging 24.7 points per game, 12.5 assists while shooting 52.8% from the field, 43.6% from the three, and 93 from the free throw line. Uh, double double in nine of his lap, nine of his first 
10 games and is coming off a record-setting two-game stint in Philadelphia in which he amassed 32 assists and zero turnovers. He currently ranks in the top 15 NBA in scoring and leads the league in assists by a wide margin. He is averaging over two more assists per game than any other player in the NBA. So, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton, my off-the-nap of the week, small market guy, but should be getting a lot more attention than he is in the NBA because he's been, he's been killing it. Zach, what is your off-the-map of the week? Uh, my off-the-map is going to be David Braun, the head coach now at Northwestern, was the interim coach coming into the season. Now the tag's being removed. His team's 5-5, five and five, and a lot of people thought Northwestern would win two games maybe this season. There were people saying they could be winless, one-win team. We all know about the hazing stuff, all the Pat Fitzgerald stuff that happened in the offseason. And for this team to overcome that, to be 5-5, five and five, and still have a decent chance to go bowling. All they have to do is win one of their last two games. I think David Braun's done a heck of a coaching job. He deserves the full-time job. And I, I think we all realize Northwestern's not the easiest place to win. You know, if you can win seven or eight games a season, that's like winning 10 games a season at most power programs. And for him to be 5-5 five and five with a team that really isn't all that great on paper, but they figured out ways to win games. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think they made the right move, removing the tag. Now Northwestern gets to turn the chapter, move on without Pat Fitzgerald, and they've got a full-time head coach. I think that's going to help their program going forward. Justin, what is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is Robert Griffin III saying he could be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, he was all he was the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in 2016 as a part of their quarterback carousel. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, you tore your ACLs. When you're when you're in the NFL, you're on ESPN now. I mean, you're retired. Don't go. Don't go to Cleveland. I mean, the way they're the way some of these teams are hiding injuries, like the Bengals might be investigated for the Browns uh, with Deshaun Watson, basically hiding injuries from themselves, not just from the public, but from the player themselves. Basically, is not a good look. It's not a good look for the league. It's not a good look for the teams. And Robert Griffin III to go to Cleveland would not be a good thing. I mean, he should just, you know, just lay low, just enjoy retirement. I mean, Robert Griffin III, don't play quarterback again. My long haul of the week, um, I mean, the ultimate long haul that's been going on for the last month at this point, it seems like the Michigan thing. I'm tired of hearing about it. Uh, Michigan uh, did resolve their legal issue with the NCAA. It doesn't mean that the NCAA is still investigating. Things still might come out from this. Well, their linebacker coach just got fired like five minutes ago. Oh, really? For what reason? Was it for, um, like, because of all this? Or Didn't, didn't huh. say. Yeah, I mean, long haul just in general. Like I said, this has been a long haul for the last month, this whole, this whole story. But they did end up uh, closing down their at least legal battle in court. NCAA still investigating. More might come out of that linebacker coach, like you just said, Zach. But um, either way, Hardball is going to accept his three-game suspension. A little confused. I thought he already did that because he didn't play last weekend against Penn State. But I don't really know how that really works. But he's going to miss the game against Maryland, and he's going to miss um, his last game of the year as well. Maryland, if the Michigan wins this weekend, which they most likely will against Maryland, it'll be the um, university's 1,000th win. So big, big milestone. Sucks that Hardball can't be there. But, yeah, I mean, ultimate, ultimate long haul. I'm sick of hearing about it. We're going to keep hearing about it. Like you said, Zach, we just had news come out while we're recording here. Zach, what is your long haul week? Finish us off. 
Yeah, I'm going to go back to the Browns quarterback situation. The fact that they're going with Dorian Thompson Robinson over P.J. Walker. When P.J. Walker helped win a couple of games for them against the 49ers against the Colts. I know he didn't put up great numbers, but he was the winning quarterback in those games. And we saw DTR against the Ravens, and it was a disaster. They lost 28-3. He did not play well in that game. So it's a bold move that the Ravens, that the Browns, excuse me, are choosing to go with a rookie quarterback over a guy that has a little bit more experience with Deshaun Watson being out. Now, will they sign a guy going forward? I don't know. But at least for this week, they're putting DTR against that great Steeler defense when he did not fare well against the Ravens earlier in the season. This is a Browns team that outside of the quarterback position, they're as good as any team in the AFC. I mean, unfortunately, they don't have Nick Chubb, but they've got a defense that's capable of winning games right now. So DTR, all you don't really have to do is not mess it up. You know, just go out and take care of the ball. Don't turn it over. And you don't have to play all that great. Just go get the job done. And the big, and that's going to be the thing going forward for the Browns is can they just get average quarterback play? If they can do that, the Browns can be a playoff team. Yeah, I can see this game coming up not even having 30 passing attempts easily. I mean, easily. It's going to be running the ball a ton. Like you said, Zach, that's what the Browns can do after this. I mean, I know they're out without Nick Chubb, of course, but just run the ball. I mean, that's what they have to do. Steelers rushing, uh, rushing defense isn't the best. Kenny Pickett, I mean, he's been playing pretty bad all year. Uh, Brown's defense is going to have a field day with him. All they have to, like you said, Zach, just don't mess it up. Just, you know, be a game, you know, be a game caller, be a game manager, and you know, let the defense take care of the rest. Good show, guys. Show Tuesday, and then maybe uh, we'll have a show come out on Wednesday or Thursday for Thanksgiving as well. But then uh, expect a, maybe a best of episode, you know, compilation highlights of some of our best moments with the interviews and just our riffs in general. But that'll, that'll that's what to expect to come next week. But again, we'll have a show on Tuesday and probably Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday as well. But until then, keep on traveling and we'll see you then.